As you join us today, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Family, where Jesus takes the worst sinners and treats them like old friends. We've looked at the lost sheep, the lost coin, and today in Luke 15, we'll discover the power of the lost son. Join us for this sermon. So in this passage of scripture, it says, if you have your Bible, in Luke 15, 11, and he also said to them, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me, I want you to underscore that or circle it for importance later, give me the share of the estate I have that's coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now I have read this and have preached on this passage for several times and I have never known this part. I've missed it. I, I called Ralph in the process of preparing for this sermon. I said, Pastor, I have never seen this. How did I miss it? He said, I don't know. I just saw it this week myself. So this is a fresh revelation here. It, it's been in the Word of God the whole time. But it says very clearly, he distributed it to them. Not him, but to them. You'll see the them in just a minute. So as it goes a little bit further, it says... And not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And when he had squandered his estate in foolish living, after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. And then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country. And as he was working there, he was feeding his pigs. He was in the field feeding his pigs. And then he longed, he was so hungry, he longed to be filled with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one would give him any. Would not give him anything as he longed to be filled with these pods. And when he came to himself in verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough? Underline that in your Bible, more than enough. Matter of fact, say it with me, more than enough. Have more than enough food, and here I am, a son, and I am dying of hunger. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll get up, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and earth, and I, I, and I am no longer worthy to be, to be your son. I only am no longer worthy to be your son. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And he said, would you just make me a servant? Make me like one of the hired hands in the field. At least I would have a roof over my head and shoes on my feet and clothes on my back. And I would, I would have food on my table that I may have something to eat. So he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a great ways off, a long ways off, the father saw him and had compassion. And he ran. The father ran. The son might have been crawling, but the father was running. And the father ran, and he threw himself on his neck. And he threw his arms around him and began to kiss him. And he began to kiss him. Father, Lord, in Jesus' name. God, may you allow this passage of Scripture to speak to our heart. God, may we see a fresh illumination, God, of what you're wanting to do in our hearts, in our lives, Lord. God, I pray that we would see the value 
of a wayward child. The value of a child that had gone down the wrong pathway because, Lord, you see the value of everyone. Now, God, may you give us encouragement today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When we think about this passage of Scripture, what did the Father find? Well, if you read a few more verses, he goes on and he says, he says he calls his servants and says, let's throw a party, let's throw a party. Bring the fatty calf and kill it. Bring shoes and put on my son's feet. Bring clothes and put on his back. Bring the signet ring and put it back on his finger. Let's make merry because this son of mine who was lost has been found. Who was dead, he is now alive. Now, when we think about this, there's a couple of things that you may want to write down this morning just to begin to connect the dots. When we think about the lost son, number one, we see the demand of the son. What was the demand of the son? Well, the demand of the son was that he would give him. I ask you to underline that. He said, give me. Give me what is mine. Matter of fact, when we think about this, all the son could see every day was all of his father's assets, his father's inheritance, and he began to be so engrossed and entranced with the assets that he no longer saw the father for the father, but he only saw him for the things that he could provide. Now let me just stop here for a minute, because I believe that that's where a lot of us end up with Jesus. I believe, on, I believe today that many people begin to see Jesus not for the heavenly Father who he is and loved you so much to form you and fashion you in, the, in your mother's womb, but we begin to see God for what can he do for us. We begin to judge our relationship with God by what he provides and not who he is. And when your relationship with God, like the son's relationship, begins to shift to what God can do for us and not for who he is, all of a sudden you're having a train wreck of a relationship. You see, today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if God never did anything else for us, we would be overwhelmed with just the blessing of life. Matter of fact, when we begin to think about this and God begins to move in our hearts and lives and we begin to say, let me ask you this, when you talk to God, do you spend more time asking or more time listening? It'll kind of begin to let you see into the heart of yourself, into the mirror of the picture of this prodigal son. He had a demand. Basically, what the boy was, you know what the boy was saying to his father? He didn't say this. But you know, you, you, you know you've had this happen. Somebody's told you something and you're like, I know this isn't what you were saying, but here's what I heard you say. This is what I heard you say. may not be what you said, but here's what I heard. What the father heard from the younger son was, I can't wait for you to die. If you were just dead, you could give it to me. Now, I believe that this, this story here, that this was a younger man. I believe that they were young adults. I don't believe he was an old man. I don't believe the father was somebody who was old. I mean, if he was about to die, I don't believe the son would have made the request. I believe the father was still in the prime of his life. I believe the son was still in the youth of his life. And he comes and he makes a request that basically says, Dad, you're dead. You're dead to me. Would you just give me what's mine? Would you give me what's mine so I can do, go and do what I need to do, go and do what I want to do? And so he made this demand. 
Matter of fact, as we look at this, it begins to be very interesting because he wasn't asking the, listen guys, he wasn't asking the father, hey, dad, could you cash in my college fund so I can go backpack across Europe? He wasn't saying, hey, dad, you know that little investment fund you have, that IRA, that mutual fund, could you cash that in and let me have a little bit of fun while I'm still young? That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, dad, could you cash in your part of the inheritance that comes to me? Not only is it his money, but it's his farm. Not only is it his form, it's the things that occupy the form. It's everything about what the father has. Dad, could you give me the source of your livelihood that provides for your livelihood that will one day be mine now so that I can go and do what I want to? Now, this is very important because today I believe that we should live by a principle that says we should live while we give. We should give while we live. For a couple of reasons. Number one, what good's it going to do you to give while you're dead? I mean, the only person that's going to have any fun in that is the people you're leaving it to. At least if you're giving while you're living, you can enjoy the benefit of seeing your children be blessed. You can see where your children are to know how do I, how do I bless them? How do I prepare a way for them after I'm gone? And in this case, the son knew that the father knew this son had no power to be able to control money because money and things controlled him, and he squandered a whole portion of his inheritance. Today, matter of fact, there's trust and there's there's trust and stewards of trust and all of that to like tell kids, okay, you can only get so much for so long because they know how children how children react to money. What's interesting about this is, I believe the father knew the son. I believe the father knew the son's heart, but yet he met the request anyway. You know why? You, you know why the father met the request anyway? You say, well, that was dumb with that father. Because the father loved the son more than he loved the form. The father loved the son more than he loved the sheep, more than he loved the servants, more than he loved all that he had. And basically, he could have told the son no, but he wouldn't have had the son anyway. When we think about this, sometimes we have to give up to go up. Sometimes we have to let something go so that it will return home. And what the father was saying is, if I will give my son, the father knew what his son would do. He knew that he would squander it, but he knew that someday that son would hit the end of the rope and he would have to turn around and come home because he knew there would be nobody else. He knew there would be no friends of the world to pick him up. He knew that. He knew that. He knew that. But that father said, you know what? I love my son more than I love my money. I love my son more than I love my things, so I'm going to meet the request. Now, boy, that's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy stuff. So there was the demand of the son, and then when we connect these dots, we see the decision of the father, and it was, here it is. He gave it to them. Now, here's what's interesting. That one son came requesting and both sons received the blessing. There's another brother here at the end of the story. We'll look at him in two weeks. But in this passage of scripture, one son came asking and the father gave it to both of them. 
And here's what I believe about this, is that the father was a businessman who really had the ability to provide for himself even after he divided his inheritance. The father loved the sons more than he loved the things. You know why we have such bitter relationships today? Because at the end of the day, children love things more than they love their parents, and parents love things more than they love the children. I'm telling you today on the authority of the Word of God, and especially in the book of Proverbs, that if a parent, and I'm speaking to myself, would spend more time saying, what am I going to leave in my children than what am I going to leave to my children, we could have different children. We could have children that are based on the authority of the Word of God, and they'd begin to deposit treasures in their hearts and their lives. And if Wall Street was up, the treasure would be in their life. If Wall Street was down, the treasure would be in their life. If it was a feast, the treasure would be in their life. If it was a famine the treasure would be in their life i'm telling you today i believe that what god is looking for is men and women to rise up and make some decisions to invest in their children and not to their children Mm. i know you don't like it but we all need it and so when we think about this it's interesting and we begin to think about all these things that happen now this is interesting because the Pharisees could not even comprehend such a demand. Now, remember the whole premise of this sermon series is Jesus versus religion. Religion versus righteousness. And we're trying to reconcile the two together. And here's religion priding themselves around saying that you can have a relationship with Christ based upon our man-made requirements. And here's Jesus over here saying, hey, Hey, Mr. Tax Collector. Hey, woman caught in adultery. Hey, woman from Samaria. Hey, Mr. Uh, Politician. Hey, Mr. Person of good influence but has a bad reputation. You can know God because of me. And so the Pharisees are thinking, you remember he had a way of ticking them off in this dissertation here because first he compared them to a shepherd, which really insulted them. Then he compared them to a woman, which really insulted him. And now he's comparing them to people who are now, I, I mean, a, a prodigal son and this father. What kind of father? See, you see, the Pharisees are saying, that's why you need to be religious because you wouldn't make bad decisions like that if you really understood religion. That father was nuts. And then when he presses the issue, and it goes a little bit further. And the next phrase from Jesus. And the father slapped him in the mouth and carried him away. That's what the Pharisees would have said. Don't give him his half of the inheritance. Slap him in the mouth and say, son, you got to get on out of here. You got to get back to yourself. You got to get back to yourself and excommunicate him. Now, the decision of the father was very heavy. Because basically, what happened in Jewish tradition was at this time, at this time in this father's life, his son would have died. Matter of fact, in the Jewish tradition, if you left anything to leave the Jewish faith and you left, you left. Now, stay with me for a minute. If you married somebody outside of the 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 jewish lineage if you did any of these kind of things they would literally have a funeral for you and you may still be living but to your family you were dead that's why the father comes back a little bit later and he says my son who was dead is now alive because to the family he died matter of fact have you ever heard people say that about children you're dead to me you're dead to me 
You want to choose that homosexual lifestyle? You're dead to me. You want to choose a lifestyle of being married interracially? You're dead to me. If you want to choose a lifestyle of being a drug addict, you're dead to me. This week, social media blew up over Chris Christie, over his speech that he gave, which was really pretty phenomenal if you've not seen it. He said, my mother was addicted to cigarettes, and she basically died of lung cancer. And everybody in the world said, get her chemo, get all this stuff. He said she tried the patches, she tried everything to get free of the bondage and addiction of cigarettes, but she never kicked it. In the end, they destroyed her life, but yet we still tried to give her healing. He said, isn't it amazing we don't feel the same way about people who are addicted to heroin, people who are addicted to crack, and all those things? It's all still the same addiction. But isn't it amazing how in our human perspective we compartmentalize it and say, oh my goodness, that's terrible, and we just shut the door and we say, when you get over all that, you can come back home. Or don't come home again. In this passage of Scripture, there was a demand, there was a decision, and there was a lot of depravity. There was a lot of deprivation. The son found himself in a hog pen. I mean, he had a good time. I'm telling you, he passed a good time, chat For a season. Did you know the Bible says sin is fun for a season? When you're planting, it's fun. When you're sowing, it's fun. But then comes harvest time. The problem is that most of us want to sow wild oats and pray for crop failures. Amen. And so in this passage of Scripture, there was this son came to the end of himself. He was in a depraved situation. He was, I mean, he was not the life of the party. He was not buying rounds at the local tavern. He was not the king of the hour, but he was the king of the slop. He was the king of the slop. But at the end of himself, he said, which one of my father's servants is eating the hog feed? Which one of my father's servants is sleeping out in the open tonight? Which one of my father's servants are running around barefooted? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll tell daddy, daddy, I'm not worthy to be a son. But could I come back and just be a servant? And in this passage of scripture, it becomes so interesting. Because you got to remember the context. Is Jesus greater than religion? I'm telling you, religion bars the door. Religion bars the door. Religion will say, if you don't fit into our box, then you don't belong. Jesus says, when you don't fit, you can belong. Because you see, Jesus didn't come to change you from who he made you to be. He came to redeem you so that you could be who he wants you to be, who he created you to be. Religion tries to change you so that you can get righteous. The cross redeems you so that you can have imputed righteousness because Jesus knew that in all of religion, it would just be filthy rags. Jesus knew that in all of religion,
religion, it would have nothing to offer. But Jesus said, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself that you might have imputed righteousness on your behalf because of the finished work of the cross. And oh my goodness, what a Savior. The son come up with his speech down in the hog pit and in the muck and the mire. And I'm telling you, it's a mess. And here comes that dirty boy covered in slop, kicking down that dusty trail. You know, in our mind, we always have a mental picture of this. I did anyway. Dad has a sprawling estate, and out there would be some little barns and nice little pretty split rail fence, and the dad would kind of sitting up on a hill, and the dad would stand out there in the driveway, and, you know, he just happened to be on top of the hill looking down and seeing his sprawling estates and servants and cattle and donkeys and everything else they had in that day. And here comes a little rebellious child making his way home. But actually, at this particular time, these people wouldn't have lived on a sprawling estate. They would have lived in the city and went to the farm. They didn't live on the farm because the farm didn't have what they needed, so they would actually live in town and then go to the farm and work and come back. So that dad was actually not standing up on a little pretty nice, pretty little grassy knoll where he could sit there in the cool of the breeze and wait for the sun to come home, but he was actually down in the thick of the city where it was crowded with everybody. And so probably the people of the city, the men of the city, saw that little stinky boy coming home covered in pig slop before the dad ever did. But I'm telling you something today. The dad didn't have to have those people go find him because the dad was already looking because he knew he had done the right thing he knew that when he loved his son more than his assets that his son would eventually come home when he went to the end of himself and so that father anticipated every day that that son would return home now here's what Jesus is doing He's showing him the desire of the Heavenly Father. Remember, he's driving home. Now, why is he telling these three stories? Because the religious crowd said, Jesus treats these stinking sinners like old friends. And that really fired him up. I'm telling you, it just ticked him off. And so he began to drive home three main points. And he says, let me show you the heart of the Heavenly Father. That when we're covered in pig slop, when we're bogged down in addictions, when we're broke as all get out, and we have nothing in us at all, I still love you. Yeah, sometimes you have to make the hard decision. Sometimes you have to give up some things that you like for things that you love. Sometimes you may have to ask that hard decision. You may have to ask that child to leave. Not long ago, we had somebody here, and they asked me after one of these sermons about a child that was in a difficult situation, and they said, what do I do? I said, here's what you do. You go find your child and don't restate your case. You don't have to go. Listen, when you declare your case, you don't have to redeclare it to your children every time. They already know where you stand. It's probably why they don't come around. Because every time they come around, we assassinate them with the truth gun. You know, we think if we say it different or we say it louder or we say it with more passion or then we'll try tears, you know, maybe it'll, it'll communicate more effectively. Now, 
I said, what you need to do is go back and say, the door is always open. You can always come home. And maybe today, you're that broken down prodigal child. Maybe you're that broken down parent who's just at the end of yourself that you're ready to give up. I am telling you that at the end of yourself is where you meet Jesus. At the end of your children's self, it's where they meet Jesus. At the end, at the end, at the end, at the end. And maybe what we need to do today, maybe what we need to do today is to go get a white bed sheet, spray paint on it, welcome home, and hang it on the porch till they come home. From faith to faith. From faith to faith. From faith to faith. Do you believe? Do you believe God? God loves you. God has a plan for you. God doesn't want you to live contrary to his word. I mean, put it, just share the word. The word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Okay, that's pretty sharp. It can divide the bone from the marrow. That's a pretty good fillet knife. It can divide the soul and the spirit. So what that means is, no disrespect here, but if this is our sword, the word of God, God doesn't need you to jump on it on your kid's life and say, let me help, just drive it in, drive it in, drive it in. No, what God needs you to do is fall down to your knees and wait and watch and anticipate and say, God, I believe that you are no respecter of persons. God, I believe that you love my prodigal son. I believe you love my rebellious parents. God, I believe you love my drug-addicted mom. I believe, God, you love my wife who left. I believe, God, you love my husband who walked out. God, I believe, I believe, I believe. And you just get ready for the welcome home party. The desire of the father was for the son to come home. But for him to come home, he had to let him go away. For him to find him, he had to be willing to lose him. Let me close with this. If he hadn't given him his share of the assets, he didn't have the son anyway. And he had to make a decision. Do I love a portion of my farm greater than I love my son? What do you value your children at? I believe that if we can give up, God can bring them up. God's waiting for us to get to the end of ourselves so that he can take over. As we wrap up this sermon today, maybe you're that prodigal child, that prodigal son, daughter, finds yourself in a difficult place. At Family of Grace, it's our greatest desire to come along beside you and help show you the way back. Maybe you're that parent, that spouse that's given up. Man, our, the joy of the world for us would be to come along beside you, be your prayer partner, let us know who, you're, who it is you're praying for and how we can help. And then the third thing, is maybe you're sitting there at home and you say, how can I make a difference? Family of Grace exists to help the sinners, the broken people, people who think they have it all together, become all that God has for them to be. Did you know that drug addiction breaks through cultural, racial, social, generational, ethnic barriers? 
Did you know that adultery, homosexuality, all the things that people struggle with every day, they break through cultural, racial, social, generational, ethnic barriers? So at Family of Grace, our greatest desire is to break through all these barriers so that we can take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Would you join us? Would you partner with us on this great task to impact our city, our nation, and our world for the glory of God?